you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Well, Mac, you want to start us off? I do, because I have, uh, I thought we'd open with a poem. (laughs) Are we opening with the poem? Or are we taking a step back and, and informing our listeners what we're actually talking about today? Because that <laughs> might be more useful before you start reading the poem. You know, that might be more useful. How about you do that? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. So today, everybody, we are talking about the medieval plus or minus uses of cannabis, weed, hemp, marijuana, anything within that category. Yes, we will be talking about weed, essentially, or cannabis, cannabis, however it is spelled. There's so many different types of names. But this is something that is basically entirely out of my wheelhouse that I've never, ever studied before. So I'm extraordinarily excited to get into this. Because there is relatively little written in the medieval period about cannabis, we sort of stretched it back. So we're sort of just going to do a history of cannabis up to the to the medieval period, because after that, it starts getting into the more contemporary stuff. But there we go. And we have a guest with us today. Yes, I am the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I am, uh, I have so many names. But for the cannabis side of things, I am Elena the Muse. I am chief executive muse, creative producer, and most importantly, illustrator of a creative production studio in the cannabis industry. I've been doing the weeds and the marketing for the weeds for the past Three years, almost four years. Yeah, almost four years. And I am a medical cannabis patient in the state of Maryland. And I guess because I'm over 30, it's for back pain. And because I'm a human being in America for anxiety and depression as well. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. I I don't have much experience with it myself because I react very badly to it, so I've kind of sworn it off. I have never tried it. I am a total newbie to all of this, except for the fact that living in Alaska, it's pretty common up there. And for some reason, while I was in Seattle at university, everybody thought that I was a weed dealer because I was from Alaska and they recognized <laughs> the name of my valley based on the weed type it was called which was Matanuska Thunderfuck. So, oh, the Thunderfuck. That's what it was called. So everyone's like, "Oh yeah, the Alaska chick." I'm like, "Oh no, I'm, I'm not I'm not that cool." Uh the Ala- Does it have a longer name? Yeah, the Alaskan what? Thunderfuck. Yeah, Matanuska. Matanuska Thunderfuck. Because that's where it grows in my valley. (laughs) I feel like maybe I saw it in Maryland once, but I've never tried that. Clearly, I'm on the complete opposite spectrum. Well, I'm not on the complete opposite spectrum. Like, I'm not a... I don't identify with being a stoner. And I have called myself the sweet summer child of cannabis because my consumption has... 98% 98% been in the legal, well, maybe 95% been in the legal market. So I pretty much, like I started, I was smoked, like the guy I was with a couple years ago, he smoked regularly. So I was with his friends and I smoked like every, maybe 
like once a month with them. And then when I was like struggling with depression and stuff, I was like, wait, that stuff made me feel good. Roll me one of them. And as my brain apparently deteriorated more over the course of 2018, eventually I got started with CBD because I just wasn't familiar with the process of getting the metal card in Maryland. And it's just like, because you also got to pay for it when I could be buying product. So <laughs> I got started with CBD and I'm still like a CBD person. I mean, I guess it depends on the person, but I enjoy a balance of CBD and THC. So I, Maryland isn't that great with like products that have a balance of the two compared to like, you know, when you're Seattle, like at this point, Seattle, the whole West Coast, they just have more product and I mean, Maryland's a new state. D.C. D.C. actually has more like balanced products. So it's just that's just getting into a whole thing because the industry yeah. is just the industry. <laughs> yeah, I know Maryland's due to it. So I'm not surprised they don't have a whole uh, range yet. It, it's kind of it's also just political bullshit. <laughs> it's political and financial bullshit. That's really just why. It, Ain't it always? <laughs> Ain't it always? God, I fucking hate living here now. For a state that contains Baltimore, Maryland is surprisingly conservative in a lot of places. Oh no, Baltimore, Baltimore's already his own like state. Like <laughs> that's just the rule. But I would highly recommend everybody try cannabis. But like, you gotta have an intention and like be around people who care the amount that you are consuming. And if you're bugging out, they can help you. <laughs> <laughs> Wise words. <laughs> All right, Mac, you want to roll us off with this poem now? Yes. All right. So I did find a couple medieval poems on it, but they're all in translation from a language I don't speak because the place where cannabis was popular in the medieval period was the Islamic world. And I do not speak Arabic even a little. It's an incredibly difficult language. I have heard. I can't I can't make a lot of the sounds either. I've heard them pronounced. I'm oh. like, I can't make my throat do that. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> But this is from the 14th century poet, whose name I'm, as just mentioned, probably going to pronounce wrong, Safi al-Din al-Hili, who says, Present it to me mixed with a plant from the purse's opening, not from cups, a wine whose casks are ivory boxes and whose cups are the palm of my hands. It has not been dirtied by the admixture of water, but often it has been followed by sweet water. It has no hangover except subtle thinking that cheers the soul to the last breath. An intoxication such as that of wine is unable to offer. How could an old woman have the grace of a young girl? The law stipulates no penalty for it, nor has the hadith of reliable transmitters said anything about it being forbidden. Ascetics have become acquainted with it. Then they used it in pastes and electuaries. They nicknamed it at times rouser of thought, and at times digester of food. I said when the scent of musk spread from it and the bashful maidens revealed themselves in their garments... It is the right of him who has spent the night wooing you to give the daughter of the vines a document of privilege. And there's a footnote that says in this context, a document of privilege is like divorce papers. <laughs> that's a that's a nicer term for that than I would have imagined. Who gets the privilege? Yeah. Who gets the privilege there? Yeah, I think it's interesting that he's leaning on the, the metaphor that, ah, they are like women, but... The cannabis woman, she is she is young and sexy, but the <laughs> the, the alcohol woman, woman 
she is old and you should probably divorce her. What did you say? It was like the 14th century? When was this written? 14th century, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that nothing has f***ing changed. Right? (laughs) The sentiments are the same. Always. Yeah, that is one of the things we find out a lot in this podcast is that people are people, pretty much. People have always been people. As far back as you go. (sighs) One of the other themes you may have picked up there is one of the reasons that cannabis was so popular in the Islamic world during the medieval period, which is it's being compared with wine and that mention that no one forbids cannabis because Islam does forbid alcohol. Which is why cannabis was so popular over there, because it didn't have to compete with alcohol. Alcohol Mm -hmm. was basically illegal through much of the medieval Mm. Islamic world. And so they used other things, and cannabis was the most popular of those. And that's, I guess because the legal status changing, which is like what? I don't know if it's like recently, but I did, like, last year I spoke with, I like spoke for an event talking about the cannabis industry and one of the attendees was a muslim woman and she was interested in the industry but then she's like now it is against i guess their creed i don't i don't know the ins and outs of the islamic world but she's like yeah now it is anathema to consume cannabis and it kind of depends i guess on the community i guess as far as like the same reason that wine Mm -hmm. is like considered not good for their lifestyle essentially i guess they're they added cannabis to that as far as it like being a detriment when as you said 14th century it wasn't a detriment and it's Mm -hmm. literally i guess because of the legal status that's probably i think that's really the only reason is because the legal status has changed yeah and there was a push during the medieval period in the islamic world to condemn cannabis as well even though it's not explicitly mentioned in any holy Mm. texts because there's one line i believe and i know very little about islam so i'm just saying stuff that i found in my cannabis research there's one line that says basically uh you shouldn't ingest things that cover your brain or like intoxicants and so people are like well that obviously applies to everything but the only one that's specifically mentioned is wine yeah right and so throughout the medieval period, there were people like clerics and stuff condemning it. And even a few of them making up fake religious verses and trying to convince people that it really was mentioned in the in the hadiths Hadith. or the Quran yeah. or what have you. Man, history pisses me off. Because <laughs> that's again, that's literally that's literally why cannabis is illegal worldwide. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's for similar reasons. It's for mm-hmm. similar reasons. And, well, not completely similar reasons. It's illegal now for racist reasons, but <laughs> what else isn't? But, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much the main thing is. It's always been politics. It's always politics. <laughs> it's always po- It's always some guy who doesn't like it, who doesn't want other people to have it. <laughs> Ah, oh, God. It's stuck in a loop. We're stuck in a cycle. We just have phones and technology now. This is... Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm processing All this right. emotionally, so, like, move on to the, <laughs> the next subject. 
Well, speaking of history, it does actually date back a long, long way. I found that archaeological evidence for its use can be found in Neolithic sites throughout Central Europe, uh, particularly the Linear Band culture, which hmm. uh, lasted from 5500 to 4500 BC or mm-hmm. BCE. And there's even a a theory that the aforementioned linear bands, which were a decoration on their pottery, that's why they're called that, were made with hemp rope to signify the uses of the vessels as being for cannabis. Did Was there like any record of what they were beyond, I guess, like the textile element? Because the hemp, so I guess modernly and I guess more likely it's not that different. So like there's hemp and there's cannabis. Hemp, which is legal as of 2018. Cannabis, which is federally illegal. But the only difference, like the federal definition of hemp is literally just that it only has 0.3% THC. That is the only difference between the plants other than when we talk about the hemp rope, that's the textile of the plant. So that's like, that's a different... I don't want to say species, but it's a different type of plant. So it's not, it's basically hemp that can't be used for consumption. So I'm kind of like curious what the differences were way back then and what else they may have been using it for. I don't know that historians have made such a distinction because all of the different, like everyone's got a different word for it in all the different languages. And so it came down in different ways. And so cannabis as a term comes from, very Latin roots. And so in a lot of medical texts, for instance, you might see something that just says cannabe. It's like, okay, is that referring to hemp? Is that referring to cannabis? Which plant is it referring to? And a lot mm-hmm. of the time, we don't actually know. Because in in the old English text, it was cannabe. And in the German Hildegard text, it's humph, or it's the German word, but it's hemp, essentially, even though it's used medicinally. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things that we see a lot in English where there's a distinction made between basically the same word in a Germanic language and a Romance language. So cannabis definitely goes back at least to Greek, mm-hmm. which I guess is not a Romance language. It was a classical language. Classical language. And it's just it just refers to the plant. Whereas hemp is from the old English term henep. Mm. And we're making that distinction, even though they're they're just two words for the same thing. Yeah. And in this particular case, the THC content was probably low because of the climate. One of the sources I used suggested that this is one of the reasons it never really took off in Europe is because cannabis grown in colder climates has a lower THC content because it produces less of the resin. Yeah. But... We do have some indication that it wasn't just being used for fiber. It was, incidentally, uh, cannabis sativa, which is one of three different types that people are still discussing whether they count as different species or not. But it's sativa, indica, and ruderalis. Yeah. It's not really... You don't hear much about that last one. But uh, sativa was the one that was used in in ancient Europe, Mm -hmm. and... From the archaeological evidence, it looks like what they did is they would put it in braziers, in like bowls on tripods, basically. They've got these little, they found a bunch of them. They've got these little stubby legs and burn it and sit around and inhale the smoke. (laughs) 
which we actually do have a we, we have a couple like Greek accounts of people doing that. But apparently it was being done back in the Neolithic period as well. And it's we've even found some clay pipes in what's now Bavaria from 1500 BCE hmm. that were probably being used to smoke cannabis. Although there's no way to be sure that they weren't being used to smoke opium instead, which was also known in the place and time. Or both. Or both. Double your high. Yeah, I just because I'm weebish, I wish I I mean, I could have I have slowed down, done the research. But as far as like, I know that in Japan, there's the hemp usage. I don't know. So I follow like a couple Japanese people on like Instagram and Twitter who are involved with cannabis. The ones who actually consume cannabis, of course, don't live in Japan because it's very illegal. I don't see them really talk much about the history of usage. Again, I know that they were used like they use the hemp ropes either at the shrines or the temples or both. But I don't know if there's like history of in Japan that they were consuming versus like in China where there's very early usage of smoking I don't know if they were using the textiles. I know they were smoking <laughs> in China. And then, yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess like modern day Korea was a tribune of China, but I don't even know what, what century or what time period I'm thinking at this point. But yeah, it's just interesting how how this plant got around so early. And now mm-hmm. in less than... Yeah, it's been under 100 years since it's been illegal (laughs) and access has been restricted (laughs) to a plant that's been around since any of us existed, which is wild. Yeah. And one of the reasons it got around so much and one of the reasons why it's possibly not used for its, its psychoactive properties so much in Eastern Asia is or at least wasn't in ancient and medieval times is because it's strongly associated with uh, Central Asian nomadic peoples. So they'd mm-hmm. all, they'd both, they'd move it around because they, obviously they're nomads, they travel. And there's records of China in like the fifth century, uh, basically scorning the use of it for psychoactive purposes because it's, it's, it's like those, those uncivilized non-Chinese <laughs> people to do that. It's, it, you don't want to be like those shamans out there, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there are, they, they do have evidence of its both textile and medical use going back like thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Egypt, it was very, very popular in Egypt for, for a period of time for both medical and spiritual uses, like driving away spirits, uh, getting rid of migraines, things like that. And their word for it was, oh gosh, let's see if I can get it right, Shemshemet. And this is one of those words that you look at in context and it immediately screams, oh yes, this is cannabis. But we have no way of telling for sure because when they used it, they were referring to it as Shemshemet and there was not a common translation of, ah yes, this is cannabis. I do have a great article from Ethan Russo, which is the History of Cannabis in Saga, Science, and Sobriquet. He does focus mostly on Egypt. 
Here are some examples of where it has been employed medicinally in ancient Egypt. The first one says, There is a general agreement with the view of Dawson that Shemshemet means cannabis, and the identification was strongly supported by the use of hemp in rope making. As a drug, it has remained in active use ever since pharaonic times. It does not appear very often in the medical papyri, but it was administered by mouth, rectum, vagina, bandaged to the skin, applied to the eyes, and by fumigation. Hmm. Although I do have a visual piece of what I think is pretty good evidence that we are talking about cannabis here, because what I'm about to drop in the chat is a picture of the Egyptian goddess Seshat, as I believe how you say that, the goddess of wisdom. I love that there's this dynamic between having it enlighten you versus having it muddle your mind because we'll see in some of the later quotes that different people have said oh no it, it clouds your mind but we've already had two or three quotes where it supposedly it, you know it enlightened your mind and so it's it's interesting to me to see that back and forth historically speaking yeah i think that's as like a regular consumer and having been a community of consumers and again it's just love-hate relationship with how humanity just doesn't grow the f*** up (laughs) over the course of hundreds of years. (laughs) Because it is still that kind of divide. And, you know, again, at the end of the day, those are like part of the the BS arguments that are made for keeping it illegal is because muddles your mind. But then, you know, we tote the line of getting into... I don't want to say conspiracy theories or just it's kind of like speculation of the f- our government is on. It's like, yeah, from a enlightened point of view, it's OK. If people get access of their minds, the government's no longer in control. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's those kind of elements. But at the end of the day, it's from I mean, it's, yeah, it's just from my experience and just overall with cannabis, it's everybody's experience is going to be unique because it's kind of thought that some of the molecules in cannabis, there is act potentially you could get some like blood work done or you have certain genes that respond well to certain molecules within the plant. That's kind of being theorized and played with now, but it's just, yeah, your mind can be muddled depending on the reasons you're using it or if you're just consuming too much. Or Mm -hmm. like when you mention, you know, the THC levels were lower in the past. The THC levels nowadays, they're substantially higher even than what they were back in the 70s. So we're considering, you know, you go to dispensary, they charge their upping prices based off of the THC percentages. When maybe back in the 70s, early 1300s, earlier than that, you know, could speculate that's maybe between five and 10% THC when the market average, which is a high amount of THC is like 20, 30%. Wow. And that's kind of the norm now to be able to access cannabis. That's 20%. You can get 60%. If you get concentrated, you get 90% cannabis and be blown out your goddamn mind. (laughs) (laughs) Be one hell of a trip. <laughs> well, no, it's more like either you'll just be saying random shit because I've gone down this road, or you just go to sleep for a long t- or not a long time. You just be knocked out, or you just 
wake up in a fever dream and eat goldfish out of a bag and then go to sleep for another hour and wake up and eat some more goldfish because that's not what I did for my 33rd birthday. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's just, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Have you, well, I know you guys did like an overall or like a, I don't want to say overall, but kind of just like a global look into the use of cannabis and like when Zoe you mentioned the differing or just the fight for it of if it muddles your mind versus the enlightenment um it's kind of like curious to get deeper into just the evolution of the medical aspect mm-hmm. I mean I guess maybe the spiritual could be considered medical to some degree oh I mean for for the old English like, absolutely, that was definitely a part of how Europeans approached health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something we talk about a lot, is that there there was a spiritual dimension to health in medieval Europe. It, it was mm-hmm. considered, like, both the health of the spirit and the health of the body were intimately intertwined. And so if something was spiritually beneficial, it, was, it must also be healthy for you. Mm-hmm. So then that kind of gets me begging the question, what... What is like the end result of like, how are they using cannabis spiritually? Like, what does that even mean? That's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, what does that, what does that mean in the past? Like if you're, you, if they're, if they were consuming it spiritually, like, what does that what mean? Does that for, look like? Yeah. What does that look like for each culture? What were their aims? Was it rituals? I think I'd read something and that's very useful because you can find anything on the internet. But I feel like I had read at one point that it's speculated that potentially cannabis may have been maybe not just cannabis, but it may have been what the oracles were cons- were like breathing oh, in that sm- and that added to, you know, of course, I'm only thinking of the oracle from the movie 300 and her dancing ass. <laughs> so I yeah, just yeah, imagine yeah. maybe they were doing that as well. But, you know, does that mean that for that for Greek culture, were they did they give the cannabis to oracles for because they thought it gave insight because they thought it gave prophecies. They thought it connected them with the gods and gave them messages to transmit to the public. It's like that kind of element that I'm curious about. I've got a couple of Egyptian medical usages that I can go through. Cool. And then yeah. Mac, you've got some for India and China. I do. Let's see. We've got, let's see. A treatment for the eyes. Celery and hemp is ground and left in the dew overnight. Both eyes of the patient are to be washed with it early in the morning. This suggests a parallel to modern usage of cannabis in glaucoma treatment, says our author here, Mm. or possibly anti-inflammatory effects. There's another passage which reads, another which is to cool the uterus and eliminate its heat, whatever that means, (laughs) is we... Y'all don't get a hot uterus? (laughs) My uterus is burning! Maybe that know, means contract. Maybe they were trying to say contractions. Maybe they were saying. Maybe they're trying to say contractions from like when you get cramps and stuff. They do bring up contractions, uh, but anyway, you take the you take the cannabis ground in honey, and it is introduced into the vagina. This is a contraction. So they're putting it. They're using it with contractions. So this might be an aid to either period cramps or helping with birth. There's another. Let me scroll down to it. Yeah, because I can give um, the modern insight on 
both of those and potentially <laughs> the next Please one. Please do. Real quick, I found it. So in a burial tomb in Beit Shemesh, which is midway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, the skeleton of a 14-year-old girl was found along with a 4th century uh, bronze coins. Contained in her pelvic area was the skeleton of a term fetus of a size that would disallow successful vaginal delivery. In her abdominal area, gray and carbonized material were noticed and analyzed, yielding TLC and NMR spectroscopy evidence with more THC and a more stable trace of cannabis. It was surmised that the cannabis had been burned as an unsuccessful attempt for the delivery of the fetus, perhaps Mm. paralleling the ancient Egyptian usage. Interesting. So I can't speak on that last one. Well, I guess that's mainly because, again, cannabis is highly regulated now and... Mm -hmm. There was a research article that came out last week or people were recirculating research because that's what this industry does. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> love-hate relationship. But Always. essentially because it's highly regulated, it's not recommended that women especially or pregnant people consume or even more so that parents even consume like it's now it's becoming more socially acceptable but like on a legal level yeah there are parents who there are mothers who give birth and because you get a blood test they find THC in her system and then they call Mm -hmm. child services and take your children and that's still very much a problem even in medically legal states so that's wild oh my god yeah I'm gonna assume there's often a racist dimension to that particular one and Inevitably. <laughs> it's inevitable. Oh, it's America. All right. Where's the racism? Let's use the letters to spell it because that's just baked into the fucking culture. But I guess there's no mainstream or like legal say about use with cannabis and childbirth, mothering, whatnot, because currently it is taboo. But as far as like when you're talking about the woman <laughs> woman who had it in her vagina for cooling her <laughs> uterus potentially i guess <laughs> yeah those are suppositories like they still they have suppositories that you can insert i mean they're not they're not available in i don't know if they're even right they may not be regularly available on the east coast i mean i full disclosure i tried it once did not have notable effects but Fair enough. They are. I mean, I'm, you know, a woman or a person who may have PCOS or Mm -hmm. like something just a more intense or like a medicinal issue other than, you know, potentially cramps or something. That's something beneficial to them. Or if they're dealing with, I don't know, their butt problems because we're all adults. We could talk about it. But it's like, you Mm -hmm. know, if cannabis resolves those issues the suppositories are the way and there are ways to make your own suppositories so there's that and then when you mentioned i guess essentially the eye wash that had cannabis in it the first thing that came to mind is that i feel like it may be the case in most medical states but in maryland glaucoma is one of the um, medical conditions that you can get a medical card for so it's like yeah there's, there's so much parallel and connection and kind of like yeah, we have technology and science and we're doing the research nowadays, but it's kind of like everything's coming full circle 
and that Definitely. yeah, it's coming full circle and that we're accessing the past again. That's often something that we've been seeing lately is people finally getting out of this this attitude that they had in the Enlightenment that, okay, obviously all the medieval medical stuff was nonsense. <laughs> but people have started actually testing some of the, some of these old medieval remedies and going, okay, some of these are nonsense. Some of these work. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta sort through them with the empirical method. Like once you get that, then, then you're, you're pretty much okay. Yeah. I, I bet there's a lot to be uh, found there for some of these cannabis remedies. Again, I don't know if it'll make your uterus cool other than in the in the sense that maybe weed is cool. So But oh, other man. than that, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm like as someone who has a uterus, I'm like, "Bitch, you be hot." I'm like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> Does that work?" <laughs> I was like, "What, oh, man?" Uh, whatever, man. That's can't let men yeah, write history a, anymore. <laughs> right, shall we? Shall we jump from ancient Egypt forward? Yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, I did want to look at um, India, mm. which is lateral more than forward because India is pretty pretty old too. But obviously, India has a long history of cannabis use. Cannabis indica is named after it. Mm. It has both secular and spiritual uses in that people used it both for recreation and in religious rituals, although a lot of the detail of that is lost to us because a lot of the time when we look back on uh, records of these religious rituals, it's not entirely clear what it is they're taking or what the significance of it is because yeah. we've just gone so far from it. There used to be speculation that weed was the Soma, the, the holy drug mentioned in the Vedas, but that's pretty much been shot down, although apparently at some point it was used as a substitute for it after people had forgotten what Soma was or how to make it. Yeah. And according to my research, at least, it's still offered at certain temples uh, up into the modern period and presumably up until present day, if the articles I've read are up to date, because it's considered a holy offering to certain mm -hmm. gods, Shiva among them. Yeah, the gods getting high. Um, it's not India related, but because of the time period, like as far as religious texts and stuff, again, stuff I need to check. I just go by hearsay until I get paid to do research now or if I actually care. But my mom, my mom, I guess one or two other people would mention like that weed somewhere there's some kind of, I guess, description or something that they've been equating with weed being mentioned in the Bible, which is something I've been... Yes, actually. Hey, yeah, let's yeah. get to that. I read about that. Let me see if I can find it again. It's in that Edwards article, or the, the Russo article. So let me see if I can pull that up. You guys keep going. Let me see if I can find it. By the way, for the listeners, uh, we will, of course, put the bibliography for this on the blog so that you can know what we're talking about when we say Edwards and Russo and all of these. <laughs> Absolutely. Gotta cite our sources. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about India, in not the Hindu tradition, but in certain Buddhist traditions, so I'm going to just quote one of the articles I've got. There is a Mahayana Buddhist tradition that in the six years of asceticism preceding his enlightenment, the Gautama Buddha, that's uh, Siddhartha Gautama, not a Buddha, but the Buddha. Buddha Buddha, uh, subsisted on one hemp seed per day as like his entire diet. So apparently it's always been, or at least it has a long, long history of being associated with enlightenment. 
and I guess spiritual because yeah I guess at this point now yeah now I'm it's lubricated I'm in the flow of things so I don't know as much as the two of you who actually did research <laughs> so I can give like yeah just modern equivalents which is just like yeah spirituality is kind of inevitably tied to this industry like I ended up getting more into spirituality in the industry like yoga is a big thing there's like I'm trying to think of like a term yeah like lifted yoga there's like you can consume or medicate or whatever and go to like yoga Mm -hmm. sessions like there's a dispensary around here well I guess because of the pandemic naturally they're not doing it any more but there's dispensary or one of the employees at dispensary because she's done it for like other organizations will host like yoga sessions where of course legal reasons you can't bring your medicine out your medicine your cannabis outside the household Mm -hmm. but you finagle your way to get high or get lifted when you make it to the yoga session and you know that's a i don't know i feel like it inevitably kind of gets spiritual ish it's not Mm -hmm. like we're collectively meditating but even in that instance it's I mean, personally, when I first started consuming, I was meditating because I felt that it put me in a it didn't put me in a deeper state. What it was in my current, I guess, theories that I'm playing with is cannabis, especially nowadays, I feel that we get so cerebral that to some degree. And since every other person's also like traumatized, apparently, (laughs) we're like we're outside of our bodies in the moment. So cannabis can somewhat, when you're talking about spirituality, Buddhism, mindfulness, it can be kind of like a cheat code where it does ground you, where there was a moment when, yeah, I I realized that I had been disassociating for most of my life. I was in LA, I was in North Hollywood in an Airbnb smoking and I'm just chilling. And it was just like, I have not been in my body for most of my life. I have not been present for a lot of my life. And that's very strange. And it's like when it comes to spirituality, it's kind of like it is just being human. It's learning to just be and to be grounded. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just it's cool that it is, again, making that comeback and serving those needs because then you get into the realm of cannabis overlapping with the burgeoning psychedelics industry where Mm -hmm. psychedelics is yeah there are spiritual elements like when you get to ayahuasca or ayahuasca dmt i'm sure there's another one it's not completely spiritual but leaning into the wellness and health side of things like you can i believe in new york and in canada there are like guides or they're not essentially they are therapists that you can trip with and they basically you're tripping whether you're on shrooms or psilocybin or acid lsd And while you're tripping, they're working with you as you're going through that process. Like I've done shrooms, I've done acid, and those were spiritual, but also just like consciousness, Mm -hmm. which I feel like overlaps with spirituality. Again, I think that that is what the Buddha talks about is consciousness, essentially. You get to explore your consciousness. You get to define and figure out the ways your consciousness has been impacted 
by your environment with these plants. Yeah, I've heard um, a few incredible accounts of veterans who have been severely Mm -hmm. affected by PTSD and ayahuasca just being the thing that helped them get back to who they want to be and also who they were before those events. I did find that passage. Oh, right. The Bible. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I think I remember seeing this one too. And people, it's the one that people are still kind of torn on whether or not yeah. it's cannabis. Yeah. People aren't quite sure about this because, again, Hebrew isn't written with vowels. So it can be a bunch of different things. Mm. And how do we interpret the words? And da da da. Anyway. Both in the original Hebrew text of the Old Testament and in the Aramaic translation, the word kane or kene is either used alone or linked to the adjective bosom in Hebrew and busma in Aramaic, meaning aromatic. It is kana in Sanskrit, kunabu in Assyrian, keneb in Persian, kaneb in Arabic, and kanbun in Chaldean. In Exodus 30.23, God directs Moses to make a holy oil composed of myrrh, sweet cinnamon, kane, bosom, and cassia. In many ancient languages, including Hebrew, the root kan has a double meaning, both hemp and weed. I'm saying it's cannabis. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's been a, a, a popular strong. interpretation. <laughs> it sounds very similar and it may well be etymologically linked. Like mm-hmm. we don't we don't know the full etymology of, of it or where it came from, but it if it if it is describing it, they're describing cannabis as like aromatic reed, and that sounds pretty accurate to me. Mm-hmm. We do have the word kane or kane, whatever, in Isaiah forty three, Jeremiah six, Ezekiel twenty seven, and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs four. But bosom, the adjective for aromatic, is not included in those. Mm. And then al- alternate versions of Exodus and other Dead Sea Scroll writings reveal no additional mention of cannabosum. The Talmudic and modern Hebrew word for hemp, cannabos, is also extraordinarily similar. So there is some evidence there. How do you read it is, you know, its own thing. But strong evidence. Strong evidence. What was the uh, context that, well, yeah, like those specific verses, what were they um, mentioned for? In that verse, it says, this is Exodus 30, 22 through 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and you take you choice spices, 500 weight wild myrrh and aromatic cinnamon, half of that 250 weight of aromatic cane, 250, and cassia, 500 weight by shekel of the sanctuary and olive oil. And you shall make of it oil for sacred anointing, a perfumer's compound, perfumer's work, sacred anointing oil it shall be. So it's it's part of a recipe for making holy oil that you would anoint someone with. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can absorb the active ingredients through the skin or not. Of well, cannabis? A lot of like the THC oils is... is it oh, not? is that what that is? Yeah, you can absorb it. Mm-hmm. I don't know things. Because <laughs> my dad uses it for his bad back. It's a plant. It's a plant. Yeah. The, wow. I just gave cannabis industry logic. Anyway. <laughs> 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 it's a plant. Of course it's perfect. It's natural. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess it's possible that uh, when you hear in the Bible about people being anointed with oil, that they're actually getting high. Well, that, no, you can't, you you can't, can't, yeah, you can't get high from just 
it would have to like i guess breach whatever the the thickest layer of skin it has to get into your bloodstream if you get high Mm-hmm. so yeah. just put it yeah so if you just put on lotion or an oil it's not gonna do that but like it's helpful as far as like if you have eczema or like pain you know then it's directly getting into the skin but as okay. far as like psychoactive it has to get into your bloodstream all right. Yeah. That's a shame. It, w- it would have been interesting if, if that were if that were I true. I mean, I don't directly recall if they burned it. If they put it in their mouth, they could have got high. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't have to drink it. You can just, like, yeah, with, like, the tinctures and the oils and stuff. If you just, like, mm-hmm. of course you can swallow it, but you can just put it under your tongue. That goes directly into your bloodstream. There you go. Possibilities. And then the additional ingredients they yeah because all those are like come from plants and whatnot the additional ingredients to some degree can increase the effects could enhance the effects of the thc of interacting with the thc interesting mixing it with cinnamon and myrrh yeah the uh the terpenes in it the aromatic molecules i feel like that would be quite a smell cannabis and cinnamon and myrrh all together yeah i mean the the present day parallel is that there well i'm sh- dispensaries can't do it but you could do it yourself but there are people who sell like smokable hemp i don't want to call them cigarettes but you can get like I, I guess i call them joints but you can get like smokable herb joints like it they don't have cannabis in it there's people who put together joints that just have like cinnamon Herbs. myrrh lavender and stuff in it <laughs> Um, because you can smoke herbs and get effects from it. Mm-hmm. So then if you add, you can, there are also people, and I've done it before where I've like mixed cannabis into, I like mixed it with some rosemary because there's a specific terpene, terpenaline that I feel that I get effects that I like from. So I've mixed them together and I got more of the effect because they it's speculated that terpenes the thc is what makes you high but the terpenes are what terpenes plus whatever's going on with you kind of inf, is what influences what the effects are going to be on you interesting i'm learning so much this is cool <laughs> <laughs> it is fascinating until you get three years into this bitch and realize that that's it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's it for the research <laughs> Well, we do have something from the Scythians, Mac, that you found that is very, very interesting. Yeah, I, I also wanted to mention while we were on the subject of mixing things, one of the quotes that I have that's like frowning on use of cannabis in ancient China claims that, and I quote, cannabis is used by necromancers in combination <laughs> with ginseng to set forward time in order to reveal future events. Why is that bad? (laughs) Yeah, why is that bad? It's necromancy. (laughs) How is it necromancy? There's no demons involved. Don't bring them dead people back. Black magic in this case. Uh, (sighs) That's a poor definition by that translator, but okay. (laughs) But yeah. Don't bring the dead people back because then we'll have information from the future. What? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Why wouldn't yeah, you want Apparently, that? if you mix it with ginseng and perform necromantic rituals, <laughs> you can see the future. <sighs> see? And I'm going to say it's politics. 
That's why. <laughs> we can't have woke Chinese peasants. We can't have anyone but the emperor and who he chooses being woke. Whatever the Chinese term for woke was back then. Enlightened. I'm sure there's an equivalent. <laughs> yeah, enlightened probably. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Scythian, Scythian, I'm never sure whether you pronounce the C as a K I, or not. I swear that we've looked this up before and you could do it either way. And the only difference is whether it's British English versus American English. That sounds right. Anyway. I'm, I'm going to say Scythian. This is from Herodotus, and it shows up in every article on the history of cannabis I read, so I think it's compulsory to include it. Yes, absolutely. And it's Herodotus, so you know it's true. Yes, Herodotus, <laughs> who famously is the, I believe, the origin of the story about those gold-digging ants. Yes, I think so. <laughs> anyway, he talks out of his ass, is my point. Yes. <laughs> But this one actually does have archaeological evidence because we found the implements being described in this. Let's go! Okay. <laughs> so it says, When they, Scythians, have buried the dead, the relatives purify themselves as follows. They anoint and wash their head. As to their bodies, they set up three sticks, leaning them against one another. And we found, like, these frames before. They're not always wood. Sometimes they're, like, metal. So we found these frames in, like, Scythian uh, kurgans, which are their burial mounds, and stretch over these woolen mats, making kind of a tent. And having barricaded off this place as best they can, they make a pit in the center of the sticks and the mats, and into it throw red-hot stones. Then he talks about hemp for a while, mostly about how you can make good clothing with it. And then he comes back to the, the description of what they're doing. Uh, the Scythians take the seed of this hemp and, creeping under the mats, throw the seed onto the stones as they glow with heat. The seed so cast on the stone gives off smoke and a vapor. No Greek steam bath could be stronger. The Scythians, in their delight at the steam bath, howl loudly. So, basically, I think it's, this is it's describing, like, a, a nomadic Central Asian people figuring out a way to hotbox. <laughs> That's, that's all I've been thinking. It's all been, it's like, yo, they're hot boxing. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, they've got these special tents for it. It's it's, and it's apparently part of like a purification ritual. In addition to just being enjoyable, since apparently they're all sitting around going, "Woo!" <laughs> yeah, right on. Oh man, can't do hot boxing during the Rona land. Tear, tear. Mm. But that's nothing has changed. <laughs> We've been doing this forever. <laughs> Just rediscovered it. Yeah, and that's right. that's almost two thousand years ago. Actually, almost twenty five hundred years ago. And mm -hmm. presumably, it was an established tradition by that time. Yeah, so that's old. And it, it may well have been exactly what those Neolithic people were doing with those, like, little stubby-legged braziers. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm Oh, man. This is, like... Okay, okay. I feel like I'm about to go on, like, fever dream mode right now because if I can... If there's, like, research that shows the, the positive Christian uses of cannabis and because, like, I've been getting ties in... The political scene, man, <laughs> I feel like we can legalize weed in America if we tie it to Christianity because <laughs> that's probably incredibly likely. It's just got to find that uh, historical Spe speaking as a practicing Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you did the Bible research. All right. We're already off to a great start. Mm -hmm. yeah. Look, it's like, look, God gave the God gave weed to Moses 
It's meant for us. <laughs> you know, I can't argue with that one, actually. That was... Oh. I feel like that would convince a lot of people. True. Incredibly true. Or at least bringing it to their attention that one of these, like, very special herbs that was used for holy anointing was cannabis, people. Like, hello, it's incredibly likely that this herb was cannabis. Just don't you know? say likely, just say it is. You know how Americans are. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all say with distaste in our voice. Yes, as Americans, we scorn <laughs> Americans. I just, I just there's live a, there's here. a lot of us in this country. It's a wide swath of people with different views. Yeah, you know, just live here. You know, potential global market crash, whatever. Well, there are some Greco-Roman uses that we can cover. Mac, you just talked about how Herodotus writes about it. There's also uh, Lucilius Gaius, who lived in the early 100s BC, and he writes about how cannabis or hemp was spread into Italy in around 120 BC or B yeah BC. Um, it's been found in Pompeii, so it's been found like in the ruins of Pompeii. There is hemp. Pliny talks about how it makes ropes and mats and fiber. Uh, Cato talks about it. There are Romans mentioning it for earache. They did not normally take it as a drug, but were aware of its psychoactive properties. Galen, who was in 200 uh, BCE, writes about it uh, to, toward like giving it to guests to promote a good time. So they were at least aware of it in, in that way, uh, like a party favor. AD, or CE, by the way. CE, thank you. Democritus, who was in 460 to 390 BC, wrote that it was drunk with wine and myrrh to produce visionary states, which caught me off guard because I didn't, I haven't associated like having visions with cannabis. But maybe like that's just because I have no personal experience with cannabis whatsoever. It doesn't, I mean, yeah, it doesn't traditionally, it's not known to be a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. But I guess given, you know, what did you say? It was cannabis, wine, and myrrh. Myrrh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the interactions. It, it, it's the interactions of like the certain ways that I guess it can do that. So, but that's not, I don't, I feel like I can say with confidence that's not normal. Like it's psychoactive, right. like it gets you high, like you get, you get, you may get paranoid or you'll just be laughing <laughs> or very hungry or tired or just kind of like really grounded or more observant of the, your environment mm-hmm. and whatnot. But like, I feel like I did have one hallucinogenic like experience. And that was because I had this pen because I was consuming. It was when I first started consuming concentrate. So mm-hmm. concentrate of cannabis can, like I was saying earlier, it can have upwards between 70, 90 percent THC. Wow. So and then basically when it comes to your high it's basically it's just it's a very per- consuming cannabis is just a personalized experience. I mean, I guess everything is you can say about eating fried chicken. But <laughs> <laughs> True enough. It's so like your high can also be based on the amount of heat so if like if you're consuming a concentrate or if you're smoking cannabis at like a lower temperature 
or no, I don't think that applies to like flour, but for like for concentrate, if it's at a low temperature, it won't get you as high versus if you're heating it up at a higher temperature. So when you're doing like concentrate, which takes the form of like resins, waxes, shatter and whatnot, and you put them in devices like, yeah, it's just you if it's an electronic vape that does concentrates, you can some of them you can essentially you can decide what the temperature it's going to be. The one that I had was flimsy and like you can basically you're inhaling the vapor. So I couldn't see the amount of vapor that was being made or that was being produced in this pen. And this pen got hot, stupid fast. So I like inhaled this shit. And this was again, my one of my earliest times consuming concentrate that shit burned the life out of my chest. I am not Christian. This is probably the only time in my life I was like, Jesus, please make it stop burning. (laughs) But then like I was just trying to walk it off in the house I was in. So I went downstairs. It's like the middle of the night and it's dark. And I guess because of just how high I was and like because again, THC can create paranoia. I started imagining there was something in the dark staring at me and I was just staring at my phone looking at YouTube trying to tune that shit out. <laughs> I was like, oh man. I'm like, you're evil, but you're not going to interrupt me watching YouTube videos, will you? <laughs> of course you won't. <laughs> That's good logic. The power of the internet, you know? <laughs> and there is, so not directly so... I don't think it it could be compared to the past, but there are like THC that most people know is Delta 9 THC. So like in Texas, there is Delta 8 THC, which is essentially kind of like a synthesized THC. So it's Delta 8 and there are more synthesizations happening where there's now like Delta 10. Yeah, I think there's Delta 10 THC, there's Delta 0 And I think it's either Delta zero or 10 that or it's another synthesized THC that is actually known to be hallucinogenic. I haven't tried it yet, but there is one of the THC molecules can do that. Yeah. Interesting. I do have a theory on how um, this might be used to induce visionary states because you mentioned it's mixed with wine. Yes. And I've got a quotation from a 9th or 10th century text, so we are actually in the medieval period. Ooh, here we go. This is a uh, a Persian text, the Book I swear, of Art of... Okay, you yep. said it was Persian. I was about to say, if you quote Marjorie Kemp to me right now, I will lose my <laughs> shit. <laughs> Marjorie Kemp could have used something to mellow her out, honestly. She really could have. Anyway... No, this is Persian. It's a, a Zoroastrian text, actually, called the Book of Art of Viraf. And it's all about a visionary journey. But here is how the protagonist starts the visionary journey. <clears throat> and then Viraf joined his hands on his breast before the long name Mazdayasnians and said to them thus, It is the custom that I should pray to the departed souls and eat food and make a will. Afterwards, you will give me the wine and narcotic. The Desters, that's Zoroastrian spiritual authorities, directed thus, act accordingly. Those desters of the religion filled three golden cups with wine and the narcotic of Vishtasp, which is 
cannabis in some form. And they gave one cup over to Viraf with the word well thought and the second cup with the word well said and the third cup with the word well done. And he swallowed the wine and narcotic and said grace while conscious and then slept on the carpet. So basically he crossfades himself enough that he just passes out and then has a really vivid dream. And that's the vision. You know... I love that you're jumping. You're like beating me to the jump of like, because cause Zoe was saying it first about the, because I guess because you added the mirror, the mirror, mm-hmm. I was just like, those motherfuckers are getting crossfaded. <laughs> you know, you can't put it past them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I did find, Pliny calls it the leaves of laughter, which grow in Bactria. And again, if this be taken in myrrh and wine, all kinds of phantoms beset the mind, causing laughter, which persists until the kernels of pine nuts are taken with pepper and honey and palm wine. I don't think that actually stopped it. I just think that that's, I don't know if they were just sipping on that shit until it faded. Yeah, I don't don't think adding palm wine, no matter what you mix it with, is going to make you less intoxicated. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, it's the pine nuts specifically. Oh, well then. The pine nuts is just... I'm so amused. Ugh. The cross-fading, the hot boxing. They're wild, man. That's so fun. It's just nothing... Nothing's changed. It's so funny. Like, oh, Maryland... Maryland does have cannabis drinks. Like, cannabis beverages... Like, when you're talking about wine and adding cannabis to that, like... Cannabis beverages have been on the rise over the past Mm -hmm. it's very popular in alaska to to get like thc in your espresso in your coffee now not thc but cbd sorry wrong acronym i mean like if you're at home you could do that it's just again regulations prevents companies from from there being a coffee shop that's like hey you want some weed coffee Well, they're, they're putting CBD straight into it. I mean, does Alaska have regulations? I mean, a lot of towns don't have police forces, so... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I thought that was the whole point of Alaska, is <laughs> that no one's keeping an eye on what you're doing up there. <laughs> well, again, it's something you can do at home. Like, I haven't, I haven't done coffee, I've done tea, where I've infused... I infused coconut milk with RSO, which is like... RSO is... Is it only 90%? It's at least 90% THC. THC or it can be like they also have one-to-one. So it's like half and half CBD and THC. Maybe, probably not in Maryland, but probably outside of Maryland. It's probably RSO with more varied percentages of CBD versus THC. But one of the best things is like it just makes it easier to cook with it or to infuse things with it. So every week a couple years ago and I do want to get back into it I would infuse like coconut milk because it has basically when you're doing infusing with THC and CBD it's the fat content it's the fat content that's very important especially because once you ingest it goes through your digestive system it's going to tear away at the amount of THC and CBD that actually gets into your system but when it goes through your digestive system it also is more intense thus people being afraid of edibles yeah it can intensify that's why people who even smoke are i've known people who smoke have smoked for years are afraid of edibles 
because it can have that level of intensity. But I was infusing coconut milk with the RSO so that I could put that in my tea every day. And I may have done it with coffee. I'm not really a coffee person because too much caffeine just go nuts. But with THC or CBD added, but definitely like THC balanced out the caffeine experience for me. So it's just lots of I don't know. It's kind of like you're playing chemistry with your own body. It's like yeah, yeah. You got to learn what works. Yeah. I guess that that jumps us up into the medieval period. Is that right, Mac? Yeah, yeah. And actually, on the subject of edibles, I do have some something to note there. That's right. Oh, I'm so excited about this part. <laughs> All right. So when I say like it was, it was commonly used in the medieval Islamic world. They were eating it. The idea of smoking it hadn't really taken hold. Like there are some, there's some evidence from the late medieval, early modern period that they'd started using water pipes and hookahs and bongs and whatnot. And we have some archaeological evidence from Ethiopia that they had bongs in the, or water pipes, it says, which I I assume are the same as what the kids these days call bongs. Yes. (laughs) And the kids those days too, I'm sure. Uh, But they had, they had water pipes in the 14th century, if the dating is correct. Which would mean that they're definitely for cannabis because that's what would have. What else would they be smoking? There was no tobacco there yet. Hmm. Yeah. And they, but they would have been getting cannabis through Islamic trade routes. Hmm. But they did have edibles, and they like they would eat it straight. But I also have a couple recipes for medieval edibles that I would like to share. Yes. <laughs> Create at your own risk. Yes. <laughs> we are not responsible for what you do with these. But if you do, we want to know. Yeah. So I have, I have three different things. One just says that uh, this is from Al-Makrizi. I, again, I'm probably saying all of these wrong, but this is supposedly medical advice. The eater of hemp seed or hemp leaves must eat it together with almonds or pistachios or sugar or honey or poppy seeds, which I think would make it worse, and drink afterwards oxymel. Uh, to ward off the harm that may be caused by it. Roasted, it is less harmful. So basically it's saying you can't eat it straight. You've got to mix it with something, either with some kind of nuts or honey or or something. And you should drink oxymel after it, which is this kind of um, honey drink. I was going to say, is that that's the same as hydromel, is it not? It's close. It's similar. The difference is hydromel is water and honey. Oxymel is uh, vinegar and honey. Ah, so, so are they just eating the plant? They're not cooking it or anything? It, it's the resin, really. They they kind of rub it into little pellets. Oh, so the hashish. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's actually where we get the term hashish. It's just Arabic for herb, and it's what they refer as. It's what they most commonly referred to it as uh, back in the medieval period. Yeah, that's... I mean, I'm sure... As you can put two and two together, that's essentially what hash is. Hash is that specific. Can you? No, you can't buy hash in Maryland. You can buy keef, though, and you can make your own hash. But it's basically those, like you said, the resin, but the blocks of resin from, Mm. I know, I think there's a way to make it with ice cubes and there's like other ways to make it. I've only had it once and that was because like some some roommate that i had he made it in the house but it wasn't something that like i bought 
but interesting i was yeah i was asking for the clarification if they were just eating just like the leaves or the seeds or something because it's like you're not going to get psychoactive effects from that it's generally the resin it's it's the hashish yeah because i think even in that instance it's unless it's being heated yeah unless it's been heated so like decarbing or deep carboxylating you're not gonna feel psychoactive effects it had you have to heat up the thc or even i mean cbd people say it's not psychoactive but something that's calming you that's still psychoactive so (laughs) so ultimately it's cbd and thc they have to be heated to basically activate them so it goes from thca to thc or cbda to cbd to basically get those psychoactive effects so I don't know if like yeah the making the hashish and then just eating it it more it still is gonna have like um you know medicinal effects or whatever effects they're looking for that aren't psychoactive mm-hmm. unless it's heated the other two recipes i have definitely both mention heating it and these are more actually recipes rather than just like advice mm. <laughs> <laughs> so these are from an authority called al badri and he gives a number of ways in which it's prepared. The ones that this author found to be most plausible are his descriptions of how it's prepared in Egypt and how it's prepared in Syria. Now, I've got both of them here. Ooh. Apparently in Egypt, you take seven parts of cultivated hemp to one part of uncultivated hemp, roast it in water. I don't know what that means, but I guess just boil. Boil. Until they boil over the fire. Place them in large closed clay jars and deposit these in a humid place for about six weeks until the leaves start to decompose. Leave them in place for another week soaked in water. Then pulverize them, blend them thoroughly, form them into pills, and leave them in the shade for the air to dry them and for them to gain potency. However that works. I don't know whether that will work or not, but it's definitely a thing you could do. (laughs) You said to gain potency? Mm-hmm. That's the claim. I'm trying to think of how that would make sense. Oh, it probably doesn't, which is very characteristic of these sorts of things. I mean, I work in a semi-bullshit industry, so it's... N- <laughs> or bullshit, or it's, it's bullshit, or it's like... I don't know, it could unexpectedly work. Yeah. I guess that's more so where my brain is. So I'm like trying to think maybe... The potency aspect is so that it can rest, kind of like when you cook a steak or a chicken. Mm. You gotta let it rest. It's cooling, but it's still cooking the inside of it. Through. So maybe it's. It sounds almost fermented to me. Yeah. Fermented it out mm. for, for six weeks. Would that not kill the effects? That depends. I, I mean, I guess it's not if they were getting high off or, or if they were getting the results <laughs> they wanted. Like, technically, yeah, today it would, if it's not properly stored, yeah, that does cause the degradation of the molecules. Right. Like, when you have any kind of cannabis or CBD product, anything derived from the plant, you have to store it. It, it's not supposed to be in the sun because that degrades it. <laughs> well, it does specify that you put it in the shade. So, you know, maybe that. But yeah, I think I think there's probably a reason we don't hear much about fermented cannabis these days. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, from all those steps involved, I'm like, how did you figure that out? It's just the, yeah, that's the more really you went into point. it, I'm just like, how does somebody was just sitting there for like, I don't know, a year or two, just like, I'm going to do something with this plant. And I like fermenting things. <laughs> Here you Let's go, world. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. Now, finally, uh, Al Badri says this is the best method. This is the Syrian method, and it's also the it's also much simpler, and sounds from what you've been saying more like more likely to work. <laughs> you put the cannabis in a copper kettle and toast it over the fire for about three hours. Then. <laughs> Take that mass that you've got after having uh, burned it down and mix it with honey and form it into little pills. And that's your edible. That's today. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not, of course, precisely, but as far as having it in the kiln, on the fire, three hours, decarbing, um, you got to decarb for you infuse. I have not... I've infused oil. I haven't infused honey. You can buy infused honey. You can infuse your own honey. And I'm pretty sure the process would be after you decarb your flour. I know some people, I guess maybe it's like the, nowadays there are devices where you can just, you don't have to, the traditional way is that you put the flour in the oven and potentially you do have to leave it in, leave it in there depending on, I guess, what you're using it for, what you know, blah, blah, you can potentially be leaving in there for three hours, I think, but like one to three hours. So then once it's decarbed, you can like the way I made the oil, which I'm sure is the same way for the honey, put in the crock pot, put all the oil in the crock pot, put all the decarb flour in it, keep the hot pot going or the crock pot going for however many hours, I guess maybe you may get the most potency or what you are looking for or what you're experimenting with. And then you just run the mixture through like a cheesecloth or a strainer to get the flour out. And then you have, if you do that with honey, then you have infused honey. So it's kind of the same as what happens today, except now we have faster, like there's actual, there's like maybe two, three different products where they are specifically for if you want to make oil or you want to infuse anything. You put it in the container, you put the flour in the container, push a button, and go. Wow. That's pretty cool. That they wish they had that. <laughs> it made things simpler. I'm sure they wish they had smartphones and Google and shit back then. <laughs> <laughs> Here they are. Can you imagine, like, going from, like, I don't know, Persia to, like, England? How to Google how to make really good hashish. <laughs> support some little peasant <laughs> that would have blown some minds because they had hemp in medieval england but they just used oh, yeah. it for the fiber they had they no idea that it. it had psychoactive mm -hmm. properties probably because again the climate was just not not right Producer. it wasn't producing a, a lot of uh, thc rich resin up there did smoking not become a thing in england until they started the tobacco industry Pretty much, I yeah. I would say, yeah, opium, opium and tobacco, and yeah. then... And, like, opium was around for a while, but it all, it kind of falls out of favor. Through the medieval period in Europe, like, if you wanted to be intoxicated, it was just alcohol. Mm -hmm. Like, you might mix in so, some, like, herbs and stuff, like uh, henbane was occasionally used, 
uh, nightshade, but Myrrh. all of that stuff was associated with witchcraft. So <laughs> you're getting high. You're a witch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've talked about it before. There is a theory that the idea of witches flying was actually them mm. getting high off of uh, nightshade <laughs> and henbane. Yes, that's right. Oh, I did see the little clearly that I remember from the notes that you sent. There was something mentioned about hemp in the witch brooms or something. Oh, did you put that in there? I did that not. They, they, that, like, oh, One of you had either. to put it in there. I didn't put it in there. <laughs> that would have been, I mean, I guess it would have made a good broom. Oh, yeah, there was, uh, I think I remember reading something about that, but I couldn't find any supporting evidence, so I think I left it out of the outline. Yeah, the only, the only- It was in the outline, I didn't make this up. No, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it might be, it might be stranded somewhere in the notes where I didn't, where I just, like, put it there to come back to, and then- Oh. Didn't take it out when I found that, when I couldn't find any, (laughs) any more on it. Yeah, the only reference to witchcraft I found was that apparently Pope Innocent VIII issued a papal condemning witchcraft and the use of C. Sativa in 1484, according to Coors and Peters in 2000. But I like I looked for the bull and I read through as much of it as I could find, and it didn't reference any kind of like it didn't reference cannabis specifically it was like oh yeah dangerous herbs but it didn't say cannabis specifically so maybe that's in the part that i couldn't access or i couldn't find but i couldn't verify this one but apparently cores and peters could i had the same experience i looked up the bull and everything i could find was it was very anti-witchcraft it did not make the connection that apparently someone somewhere made yeah (laughs) that's wild (sighs) oh and then for for the like general rest of Europe, hemp was grown throughout Scotland, Wales, Norway, Finland. Like, it was grown, but it was only used as hemp. There were a couple references that I did find for medical uses of cannabis, but it was in a way that no one expected. Where did it go? There it is. Okay. So this is from the Herbarium of Sioux Apuleius. Apuleius. Thank you. I can't pronounce anything, just like I can't spell anything. I just look at words and then I say it how it comes out. And that's I mean, just I'm how mostly it's be. guessing, but I'm pretty sure it's Apuleius. Apuleius. That makes sense. Anyway, it's an herbal text from late antiquity that remained popular through early medieval Europe. And its use of cannabis reads thusly. This is the translation. This plant, which is called... Cannae sulfatica, or cannabae sulfatica, depending on your translation, or hemp, grows in rough places along roads and hedges. For sore breasts, take the hemp plant, pound it in lard, lay it on the breasts, and it will diminish the swelling. If any inflammation is present, it will clear it up. For frostbite, take the fruit of the same plant, pounded with nettle seeds and soaked in vinegar, and put it on the source. Feasible. That's way further back, but it's like, what were they called? Pharmacopias? Copus- yeah, I, I know what you mean. Pharmacopias. Yeah, pharmacopias. Oh, yeah. Like they, like prior, essentially weed became illegal 1937. So like prior to that, there are pharmacopias. Pharmacopias. Yeah, in the United States that have, of course, I can't say precisely what you had said, Zoe, but it does have uses of cannabis like that in it. Interesting. Because does... 
does cannabis have anti-inflammatory properties? Because that's one of the things yes. that we've seen. Oh, it does. It okay. does. Like it is. Cannabis is essentially what's also helping with the legalization movement is there's more boomers consuming for chronic pain because pretty much the only chronic pain solution and we get into the whole opioid crisis and whatnot because that is a result of all of these are interconnected the opioid crisis cannabis and chronic pain issues and just yeah chronic because you can't consume if you have chronic pain of course that means you you're experiencing pain every day all the time all you, the time so you can't consume ibuprofen or morphine or narcotic level painkillers you can't do that every day because it's it'll destroy your body yeah it did literally there's an opioid epidemic in maryland and some I think there are like a handful of states that have add like have added opioid addiction to their medical conditions list for cannabis. Even like we're talking about boomers also circling back to veterans because mm-hmm. veterans have not just PTSD, they also have pain issues. Mm-hmm. So cannabis is that solution like I think no, I don't think chronic inflammation is on the medical conditions list in Maryland, but inflammation and again, pain, they're always brought up for use, whether on the cannabis side or the CBD side for, again, chronic pain. Maybe that works then. I uh, mean, next time it, anyone for sore breasts. Yeah, next time <laughs> anyone has sore breasts, give it a try. <laughs> try I mean, so it does, because I'm thinking, so I have... I had back spasms last year, like to the point that I was not able to walk for three or four days. I was stuck on the floor just consuming THC. THC doesn't do anything for me for pain, but like there were creams. Yeah, there's like balms. Yeah, there's medicinal THC, just balms that I was putting on my back, but I needed more of the CBD element to pretty much loosen up the muscles. Mm-hmm. But I had had a bomb of THC CBD that I'd offered to my landlord slash aunt relative because she's over 70. She has chronic pain. She was talking about like she has a lot of pain in her joints. So I gave it to her and she's like, oh, it helped a lot. And then I was then she eventually got her husband because he was afraid. That I guess he was going to get high. And I'm like, that's that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so he applied it for his like knee issues and like back issues. And I ended up essentially putting them on to CBD because just the external application is helpful. Like if you have arthritis, if you have joint pain, um, again, like going into skin issues potentially inflammation or like eczema is also a potential option so yeah mm-hmm. still applies there is another interesting one from hildegard of bingen and listeners will recognize her name let's see hemp or hanf that's the german word i was searching for earlier is hot and what this means is Different types of plants are categorized in different ways. It's sort of a, it's like the humors, um, hot, cold, dry, or moist. 
So hemp is hot and grows where it is neither very hot nor very cold, and its nature is similar. Its seed is salubrious, and it is good as food for healthy people. It is gentle and profitable to the stomach, taking away a bit of its mucus. It is easy to digest, diminishes bad humors, and fortifies good humors. Nevertheless, if one who is weak in the head and has a vacant brain eats hemp, it easily affects his head. (laughs) It does not harm one who has a healthy head and a full brain. (laughs) If one is very ill, it even afflicts his stomach a bit. Eating it does not hurt one who is moderately ill. And then there is a small addition to this that is a later addition to the manuscript. So it's not written by Hildegard, but it's still in there as, as the text. So let one who has a cold stomach cook hemp in water, and when the water has been squeezed out, wrap it in a small cloth and frequently place it warm on his stomach. This strengthens and renews the area. Also, a cloth made from hemp is good for binding ulcers and wounds, since the heat in it has been tempered. I'll say that potentially, because as soon as you said humors, I'm like, oh no, not that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Isn't that connected to bloodletting? Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, in the broad scope of medieval medicine, yes. I mean, in the sense that, like, you could have too much blood because one of the humors is blood. Yes. Okay, because so that essentially makes me think of the people in cannabis evangelists and zealots who treat the plant like it's a penencia, if I said that Mm. word correctly. I mean, I knew what word you meant, so I assume it's close enough to correct. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know how to say it either. I'll be f***ing a word. I just, I'm like, some people feel compelled to correct me. I'm like, all right, sure. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's made up. Nothing matters. So, whatever. True. (laughs) Last week, and I think it's still circulating. Maybe it was the week before or it was the beginning of last week. There was an article circulating about research of cannabis cannabinoids cannabis molecules helping to prevent COVID-19 so of course you know the industry ate that shit up and I think when they got deeper into it, it didn't include THC as a molecule it was oh, wow. it wasn't Delta 9 it was CBD I think it was CBDA I don't think it was CBDV I think it was CBDA and maybe CBGA or maybe THCV. I don't think it was th- any. I don't think it was any THC. But it's basically because there was evidence showing that these cannabinoids were beneficial in helping to mitigate or prevent infection of COVID nineteen. And of course, the industry, they're just sharing this article like wildfire. And some people are actually giving the caveat. It's like, this doesn't include THC because the cannabis industry also, unfortunately, crosses over heavily with conspiracy theories. (laughs) Somehow I'm not surprised. (laughs) It bothers me (laughs) no end, but it's like getting circling to like humors and... There may be some validity to it, but you still need like empirical evidence and like trials and test trials and peer reviews, multiple different ways that the research was done. There are Mm -hmm. limitations with that 
today with cannabis because of its federally illegal status, it cannot be legally researched. It can only be researched by the federal government who their research over the past. So I think news again from last week, the federal government finally bought like good weed to test with because they were growing weed in Mississippi to use for research. They were deliberately growing weed. This makes so much sense. I guess to potentially disprove anything with the research, which wasn't successful. So I guess last week they decided, well, let's invest in quality weed, which everybody is actually smoking (laughs) to see what the results are. Right. Yeah, we're all still kind of in the dark. I mean, there's there are the studies and whatnot, but things it's still in that it can or cannot be confirmed also because of the legal status. Mm hmm. I think we can confirm that it's dangerous for people with empty brains. <laughs> I would agree with that one. If you have an empty brain, you know, be careful about what you consume in general. Make sure it's food. They're already out in the wild at this point. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> let them go for it. Why not? No, like, keep them. You know how they say, um, what is that? Like, keeping horses and horses and cows in captivity you just give them all the space and they don't care, but they're still in captivity. Yeah, they're still in captivity. Yeah. So we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing with the conspiracy theorists and the empty brain people. <laughs> just put some place that they, hey, you want Cheetos? Here, endless Cheetos. <laughs> you, you want endless, you know what? Here's some YouTube premium. Watch as much garbage as you want. Here's as much weed as you want, but you can't leave this parameter. No, you can't do that. I feel like you've solved the problem single-handedly <laughs> yeah let me become a legislator all the empty brain people are going in the gauntlet we don't want to go there's cheetos though there's cheetos i'd vote for that <laughs> see all right y'all buying cheetos made in america an american snack <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> like Coca-Cola. Well, that's, that's, I think all, all I had in my notes for... I would like to note that uh, this means that Hildegard is a pioneer in cannabis, <laughs> beer, and music. So thank her at your next party. And she's a saint, so... And she's a saint. There's, there's, your, there's your Christian connection right there. <laughs> Man, that was wild. See? And then we can make an argument. Women bring all the fun. Boom. It's a women's rights movement. It's, con- it's you know, connected <gasps> to the Catholic oh, Church. Shit. Could just have a Boom. women's rights movement of just drugs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just the highest women's rights movement. That'd be a nice story. There you go. I do Wait actually have something. Extra elevation. Something <laughs> that I wanted to include on the, uh, the Oseberg ship burial which is, Ooh. I believe, 8th century, uh, is a very elaborate uh, Viking ship burial of two women, one in her, like, 70s or 80s and one in her 50s. And the elder of the two was apparently buried with a purse containing cannabis seeds. So that would indicate that there was some kind of knowledge of its properties beyond it just being a good fiber. And it was apparently connected with at least one high-status woman back in, like, Norway. There you go. I My first thought is 
Is there a record of where the ship was at it? That's a good question. Well, when they buried a ship, it's usually a, a, a used ship that they've just, they're just retiring. Or specifically built to go in a grave. Uh, the Oseberg ship in particular appears to be several years older than the grave in which it's buried, which is why I was making the assumption there that it was a ship previously in active service, but repurposed for the burial. But that needn't necessarily be the case. Oh. Yeah, part of the part of the burial service. No, because my thought was like she had seeds on her. Maybe they were going somewhere with, and then she could grow them or something. No, no, it's intentional grave goods. Oh. Right, but that does connect to the whole spiritual practice. Mm. Yeah, I can't speak on seeds. No, because seeds aren't uh, the psychoactive part, right? Correct. Hemp seeds are used for products. I feel like my information is outdated at this because I think it's around before hemp was legalized before. Yeah, because CBD has been riding in a gray area for years. So Mm -hmm. again, like hemp wasn't legalized until 2018. That was only four years ago, not even four years ago. Where was I going with that thought? Oh, so there are. Yeah. So there are products because the CBD industry was so mixed and because like certain vendors, let's say like Amazon, I believe up until recently, Amazon didn't allow CBD products, but hemp seed oil products were allowed because that's a different. Yes. They're pulling from the seed as opposed to pulling from the plant or making processing. They're processing, manufacturing their products from the seed versus the plant. So, Mm. So it's in that area, that gray area. Yeah. But they were, that was essentially, I think that was essentially the workaround for, because some vendors wouldn't allow the use of, or allow you to sell product that's plant derived, but they would Mm -hmm. allow if it was hemp seed derived. Makes sense. But I don't know anything about like, I don't know anything about like spiritual, other than, you know, what you guys introduced, I don't know anything about like spiritual practices or anything else that hemp seeds are really used for other than growing and maybe processing product because i don't really hear anybody talk about it i expect that the reason she'd be buried with it is more of a symbolic thing than a useful thing like that this is uh the seeds of a plant that were in some way important to who she was do we have anything else Hmm. i I think we're good that was like that that pretty much covers it for yeah, like an uh, hour and a half, two got. hours. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple other notes, but we have been recording for almost two hours, so it might be time to wrap up. I think so. All right. Well, before we do, uh, Elena, you should plug your stuff so that people know where to find you. and Plug my stuff. <laughs> so, my stuff. I have a podcast. That's why I'm on the podcast, because we were... T- I think you saw that I posted my stories about podcasts and then you invited me on the podcast. Yeah. So I have Faded Breaks, the original cannabis and anime experience where basically I talk about weed and anime. Who could have guessed? (laughs) But um, I do that. That comes out every Monday at 11.08 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I am working on also having live discussions on Twitter spaces, Monday nights. And other than that, to stay on the subject of cannabis, 
I have a cannabis art brand called the Endocan Band that personifies cannabis molecules into music entertainers. So that's so cute. So I'm currently working on an NFT, working on an NFT project because that's the wave. And but other than that, doing merchandise, digital products, digital products, currently looking to make a cannabis journal and cannabis journals that feature different molecules that might be your favorite or that you're curious about and merchandise. Yeah. And as for where I am on the Internet at Elena the Muse on Twitter for NFT, Faded Breaks, random rants about me being a very fragrant black woman <laughs> and um yeah i feel like that's all i'll push is just the twitter all right well, so, thank you for coming on the podcast so much this has been i mean yeah, so for informative for me as as someone who has never delved into this world before i i'm always gonna tell everybody to try weed go pick us up <laughs> go pick up some delta a yeah <laughs> <laughs> It has two thirds. Was it like two thirds the potency of THC? Of well, you got Delta Nine, so it's easy to manage. Though yeah. I will say, like, start a low dose if you're gonna try. So low dose means if you're doing edibles, five milligrams of THC Delta Nine is a lot. So if you can find five milligrams of Delta Eight. That could still potentially be a lot. So I'd say cut it in half. Start with 2.5 milligrams. As the saying goes, start low, go slow and start low, whatever. Um, and figure out where your where your winning Special. spot is. Yeah. And drink some Oxymel afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right on. All right. I think we're good then. I think we are set. Thank you for listening to The Miniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. Yeah, do you have a dog there? I've seen you reaching out of frame a couple times like you were petting something. Oh no, I just touched myself in public. Ah, there he is. Oh. Uh, I thought you knew about Abby. I do. I've seen him on Facebook. I just wanted I just liked knowing that he's there. In live action. Yeah, he showed up. <laughs>